One of the things that I have done that I have enjoyed doing over the last uh, few years is promoting an event that happens here in the upstate where they bring literally bring world-class talent. And joining me from the Interna International Ballet Academy is one young Sarah Shoemaker. Good afternoon, young lady. Hi, Bill. Nice to talk to you. And thank you for calling me young. <laughs> I'm not that well, young, you're younger than me. It. You're younger than me. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so this year the International Ballet once again we're about to, uh, what the it's going to be the weekend of the ninth, eighth, ninth, tenth. The, the uh, yes, coming up very soon. I can't believe it's coming so quickly, but we are already so ready. It's we, I mean underway. Beautiful, the music, all of it. It's like time is going really fast, and it's hard to believe that. It's already, you know, approaching Nutcracker season and Christmas, but it's, I mean, it's our favorite time of the year. It's, it's wonderful. One thing that I, I don't, we may have made mention of it, but before the Nutcracker performance, you will have the Nutcracker tea. Yes, we do the Nutcracker tea. And I have to tell you, Bill, I almost don't even want to mention it to the general public because it's in such high demand. It's frustrating right. for people that don't right. get tickets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sold out in like 10 minutes this year. Yeah. We, you yeah. know. We do the best we can. We would do more teas, but there's just not enough dancers. Well, I mean, time and... the, the thing about the Nutcracker Tea, that's for the children, right? That's for the kids yeah, that are maybe a little too young to actually go sit through an entire Nutcracker performance. But they, they get a little abbreviated version from your dancers. Correct. Yeah. Same dancers. They come in and, and same beautiful costumes. It's just a very short version of it. But it's perfect for those young ones that, yeah, they don't have the attention span to sit in a theater for two hours. <laughs> I got I got to read the Nutcracker to him one year. That was fun. Oh, that was fun. yeah. Just like, uh, yeah, that was. I think that was before your time, but that was fine. I, I got to do it that one time when it was when it's still at the Poinsett Club. So uh, yeah. now it's moved. But hey, it's always a good affair. Now the the Nutcracker performance. Who's going to be your leads this year? So we have two principal guest artists that are sponsored by um, two of our patrons, Greta and Graham Somerville, that sponsor these um, artists every year. And we're so grateful for sponsors because we really, that's the only way we're able to do a lot of what we do is through, you know, people just supporting us and saying, yes, we think what you're doing is valuable. So Greta and Graham believe in their hearts that Greenville needs to see world-class talent in, the, in, in classical ballet because... I mean, it's, there's lots of good dancers, but when you see people who dance in you know, big companies and tour the world and win competitions, it really is something to behold. It's, once you see that, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> um, so our two artists this year, actually, they are world-class talent, but ironically have South Carolina roots, which was one of the reasons we selected them. Um, so Katrina Nechayeva is a... Um, a girl who currently dances in a company called Chelyabinsk Opera Ballet Theater, and it is in Russia. She is um, she has Russian in her blood. Her mother and father were Russian, but she was born in um, South Carolina. She's a South Carolina girl. Her mother is Irina Ushakova, who's a ballet teacher for International Ballet and also the Governor's School for the Arts. And so, you know, Katya was was born in the ballet, and she has the genes of a ballerina. Arena was a beautiful dancer herself. Um, in fact, still to this day, when Arena, um, you know, shows what we call port de bras. Port de bras is the carriage of the arms. That's French for movement of the arms. 
when she uses her arms to demonstrate to the children, it's literally gorgeous. I mean, just standing in front of the room, teaching a class, she'll start to move her arms and you just get captivated. Anyway, she trained her daughter. Um, Katya also trained with International Ballet. And then when she was about 16, she went to Russia to finish her training and is now dancing there. But she also has won international competitions um, or, you know, placed in the top three and, and done very well. So we're excited to bring her back to be our um, what we call grown Clara, because in our production, Clara goes right. from a child to an idea of an older dancer. And so that's our, our guest female. And then our guest male principal dancer is a man named Brooklyn Mack. And Brooklyn um, was from Elgin, South Carolina. And he is um, he wanted to play football. And his mother, I, I, I need to get the real story here, but I know somehow his mom was not necessarily in favor of him playing football because of the head potential injuries and just maybe she saw other gifts in him as a young child, but she kept pushing, you know, the idea of ballet and he was like, no, I'm going to play football. And so he wouldn't do it. But finally he got her to agree um, that if he would take some ballet, then she would let him audition for, or not audition, (laughs) using the wrong words, try out for the football team. And so because he was trying to please his mother, he said, sure, I'll take some ballet, whatever, went in, Long story short, he was born for it. And from that point on, and this was in Columbia, he was taking um, ballet, and then he ended up getting a scholarship to the Kirov Academy in Washington, D.C., which is one of the, was one of the you know, most prestigious ballet schools. It is now closed, unfortunately. But um, he went to Kirov Academy, and then from there, danced in some of the biggest companies. He was in Joffrey Ballet, American Ballet Theater Studio Company, Orlando Ballet, Washington Ballet. And he has had a very illustrious career, also won lots of competitions. And he um, he's kind of, you know, he's in a point now where he is a guest artist professionally. So he's right. not affiliated with a particular company, but he does, um, he, his most recent affiliation was with English National Ballet in London. So that just gives you an idea of the talent that he has. You know, these are not jobs that you just get if you're just somebody. <laughs> you have to really be spectacular. So. Anyway, they're coming to dance together as our lead couple, and we're just so excited to bring these two South Carolina um, ballet high achievers back together, and um, and I think the audience is going to absolutely fall in love with them. Well, the past performances, you've always, I mean, uh, with all male dancers, I, of course, compare every male dancer to Taras Dimitro, which uh, mm-hmm. he's just so, he's like a little tiny coiled pack of dynamite when he's popping uh, yeah. I, I look forward to seeing Brooklyn Mack. I, I, I'm, I'm going. To, I get to go to this one, and I, I, I'm not even going to try to, to pronounce this young lady's name. You did, that you just rolled it right. You off can call team. her. Well, it's, yes, it's hard sometimes. It's Katya. That's okay. the easy way. That's her nickname, Katya. Katya. Yeah. But the only one I want to come meet backstage, of course, is going to be Fritz. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> You're so sweet. Yeah. Fritz, Fritz is Fritz is Sarah's son, and he plays Fritz in the, in the uh, in the production. And yeah. we'll get to see we'll get to see all the little girls that dance, and uh, they'll get out there and they'll have their moment. And it goes. What what's the what's the lowest age of uh, any of the performers there? Well, we you have to be eight to audition. That's okay, the, yeah. so eight years old. Okay, so For from eight years purpose. old, so so we're gonna have young ones that are going to be superstars tomorrow. we got superstars today that are going to be performing the uh, male leads, right, male and female lead, which is always 
as it is. And, of course, the music, before we run out of time, tell me about the music. Who's going to be doing that this time? Yes, of course. Well, the, the score is Tchaikovsky, and you can't beat the score. It's magical. You hear it in the mall, and you may not even realize you're listening to Tchaikovsky, but that's who composed it. And, of course, for International Ballet's version, we use the live Greenville Symphony Orchestra, and then for the snow scene, we also have the live chorus, choral music provided by the Greenville Youth Chorale. So, I mean, it is a big group of artists. You have the full Greenville Symphony Orchestra, about 80 people on the stage um, from international ballet side, and then you have about uh, 18 vocal you know, chorus members from Greenville Youth Chorale all coming together at the Peace Center for this big holiday production, and it truly is fun for everyone and it's our favorite time of year. It's impressive. It, that's what it is. The, the fact that you weave all that together and the live music. A lot of a lot of performances don't use live music nowadays. So you still having the pit and everything, and uh, that that just yeah. it just takes it back to that old world. So yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to it as I do every year. Of course, you know, just tell Fritz that I'm going to be. Uh, I want to. I'm going to. I took his measurements last year. I'm just going to see how big he's gotten since last time. So. <laughs> He's growing. Do you still have growing. Do you, do you still have the artist artist in residence you had last year? Um, we don't have. Well, he is dancing in the Nutcracker. He's no longer our artist in residence because he's actually decided to pursue some other um, jobs in right. terms of professionally. He is yeah. actually currently teaching ballroom dance now. But he did come back for Nutcracker, and we're so glad because he's always a. I mean, he, again, talk about yeah. a dynamite. What, his what was his? What, what was his? What's his name? His I, I, name is Denise Simone. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that yeah. that that kid is. Uh, Bruce Lee would have liked to have had that kid. Uh, yeah, he does remind me of a. a yeah, you get it. <laughs> Sarah, thank you very much for joining me. Give Lena, Lena my, uh, my regards and tell her I look forward to seeing all of you on the 9th or 8th or whatever night it is I'm going to be there. You're coming tonight, and I will tell her, and I also just thank you so much for the time, Bill, sharing this with the community. I'm so grateful for you, um, for your support every year. It we is love my, you. It is my pleasure, Sarah. Thank you very much. <laughs> my Thanks, pleasure. All right. <laughs> when we get back right now, if you were to go look at a community college or a trade school, you know what you're not going to see? You're not going to see a Hamas protest. I'm just saying. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Eight years ago, TV host Mike Rowe was uh, he was out there channel surfing, and he saw several college students setting fire to the American flag and dancing around a pile of burning flags. GS Plumbing Talk Line is one eight hundred nine zero five zero nine eight nine. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is seven one three zero seven. And I am streaming live, by the way, on the uh, WORD Facebook page for those of you that like that. If that's your cup of tea. He, he was watching that, and he, he, the, 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 the kids there were telling reporters in interviews they were disgusted with old glory and fearful of the flag. Rose said, it wasn't lost on me in the moment that all of these events were happening at what was considered the, be the best of the best elite universities across the country. And supposedly among the non-elite students... The situation wasn't, 
and isn't as bad. And Rose said it didn't take long for him to figure out what the elite students, how they drew, drew these conclusions about old glory. The idea of associating fear with the flag came from the very people who were supposed to be instructing these privileged students. The flag is the flag is always an interesting topic simply because of one thing. When I got out of the military, I got asked, I, I, I went to work for a company called Western Beverage. Western Beverage was at the time the uh, Miller Beer distributor here in this area. And uh, I, I went out. I had to ride along with uh, with one of the route men to, to get sort of familiar with the job, learn the job. And uh, as, I, as I'm doing this and everything, he, he asks me what I think about people that burn the flag. Well, the flag is symbolic and emblematic of the country, but I took a oath to the Constitution. And in the Constitution... Burning a flag is part of free speech. Now, in my time in the military, I'd seen a few flags burned simply because they had become no longer serviceable. And you don't throw these things away, you burn them. So burning the flag is actually a, uh, it's, it's, you know, like, it's almost a honorable thing to do in some cases. And he asked me how I felt about somebody burning the flag. Now, I did not point out that if I saw somebody riding around, some of these students riding around with the flag upside down, which is to show, supposed to show the nation in uh, distress, I would probably chase them down and take that from them. I didn't tell them that. But, uh, you know, as far as them burning the flag and everything, uh, one of the things about being a veteran, for example, is that veterans go out and they see the world in ways that none of these privileged college students are going to. We see the world for what it really is. I mean, even in the 80s, I knew from the place, various places I went when I was stationed in Europe, I knew that the United States was the best country on the planet. And I was in Europe. Roe said the evidence was crystal clear when Jonathan Lash, then the president of Hampshire College, chose not to assure the students that no country offers more liberty to their people and therefore there was nothing to fear from the flag. Instead, he talked about he talked about things and spoke up in ways that validated their fears. And he actually removed any traces of the American flag from the campus and said in a statement that removing the flag from the campus will better enable us to focus our efforts on addressing racist, misogynistic, Islamophobic, anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and behaviors. <laughs> uh, hmm. Mr. Lash is a, a former Peace Corps volunteer, federal prosecutor, Harvard graduate, and president of a Washington-based environmental think tank. He left the college in 2018. Hampshire College under Lash in 2015 was one of the first elite schools in the United States not to accept SAT scores from applicants in, because, in part because Lash said SATs were strongly biased against students of color. Rose said that if people are shocked by the blatant anti-Semitism among college students and by the students' clear lack of understanding of history, they have been paying attention to the ethos of the elite universities for the last two generations. Because higher education has been trending left 
hard left, hard left. Uh, Philip Magnus and David Waugh wrote earlier this year in the Independent Review that 60% of faculty in universities across this country identified as hard left. So, of course, they're going to teach this. This is part, you know, chapter and verse. They're going to teach it. Magnus Wall wrote that while the model uh, college professor has been at the political left of the public since the 60s, it wasn't until very recently that this overall skew obscured an underlying stability in the political composition of faculty. And it showed that in 2001, that fact factical, uh, or excuse me, faculty majorities went from liberal to hard left and are now nearing a supermajority in the academic world. Do you understand? See, everybody wants to call some of these Democrats liberals. They're not liberal. They're not liberal. They're not seeking liberty. They're seeking Marxism. They've gone hard left, hard left, hard left. Now, Mr. Rowe looked at that, and it's not lost on him, the two places of higher education where you don't see campuses erupting in violence and destroying the safety of Jewish colleges or trade schools and community colleges. Lock and load is sponsored by a trade school. You know, trade schools are, you know, it, it's meat and potatoes education. It's, you know, I don't even know if they have any interest in them uh, beyond what they're doing in their class. The typical financial aid package at Harvard, in which pro-Palestinian rallies have cost the school financial support from alumni, total budget for a student this year is $80,600 with federal scholarship amounts set at $64,500. Uh, over 55% of the students attending Harvard receive federal grants or loans. So, in addition to them going into debt, in large part, our leftist turn is funded by our tax dollars. We're paying for it. Department of Education shows there's nearly 4,000 colleges and universities across this country and 40% of their students holding some type of job while attending school. Conversely, there's 1,000 community colleges and 7,400 trade schools as of 2022 with 80% of those students employed while attending school in the former. And he noticed that, uh, he noticed one thing that is, is really interesting. Wherever somebody's going to school to learn a trade or a skill, there's no time for protests. They actually have to perform in these schools. So, if you've got a young person at home and you want them to actually get an education of some type that they're going to take out a loan for or you're going to help pay for or fund, um, you need to take a look at the trade schools or the community colleges, I guess, and they won't be involved in any protests. Hamas and their type, it's not just about, well, I mean, everybody's a target with this type of Islamist. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD.
Just looking at the text line. Interesting question. <laughs> That's an interesting question about Black Friday. GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. There is a reason that I harp on the whole two-way thing. And um, I, I know that a lot of you get out there and go, oh, he's just a one-trick pony. But listen to me what I'm telling you, okay? In the interest of your own self-preservation. There's a guy out there named Walid Fars, a Middle East expert and the author of the book, Iran, an Imperialistic Republic and U.S. Policy. And recently he was on Fox News Digital. And uh, he made a, he made the fact he made the point that once Hamas and similar groups similar groups are done dealing with the Saturday people, they're not going to be worried at all about quashing and crushing the Sunday people or anyone else. It's not just the Jews with Hamas and similar groups. It's the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Rastafarians and the Christians, the Methodists and the Lutherans, the Episcopalians, the Pentecostals. It's all of them. And a lot of these are champions of all things leftists and would no doubt welcome the jihadis with hot meals and envelope stuff with Target gift cards. They would then be beheaded. As a matter of fact, they probably go to the front of the line because they have a you know a big dedication to the rainbows and abortions. When when the justice from Sharia law comes their way, they will be the ones exchanging glances with the queers for Palestine and wondering what they did to deserve this. Now, and it's not just religions. <laughs> I'm a mayor. I'm a member of the American Legion. And it's not just that. I mean, if you're a member of the Rotary or the Lions or the Freemasons or a Shriner. The Lions, for example, they're involved in such sinister activities as fighting childhood cancer and combating diabetes and world hunger. They provide eyeglasses for the needy and they help fund genetic research to prevent eye diseases. Rotarians, on the other hand, they are, they, they, they're looking for clean drinking water for third world countries and final eradication of polio and education and helping local economies. And all of them are targets. Everybody is a target. You know? Shriners hospitals would be targets. What's in Shriners hospitals? Little kids, yeah? Yep, 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 yep. So what is going to save us from these loathsome and vile forces. Who's going to stand against this? Well, if you're saying it with tongue in cheek and looking at the at the good guys as the bad guys, Hamas and the other jihadis, and possibly your local campus social justice warriors who want in on that one too, right before they get lined up with us. And the, this is, the agenda of Hamas and the similar groups is you either adhere to their version of Islam or you do not. And if you don't, you're dead. Somewhere or another, you're dead. It's going to be some really imaginative, bar, barbaric way. 
You got a lot of college protesters out there right now chanting from the river to the sea. They don't even know what that means. They think that they're out there and they're 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 they're, they're rising up the uh, the means for equity and decolonization or whatever. Between the average college curriculum and the impact of social media, they probably don't know what they're supporting. Or more likely, they don't care. This is a generation without conscience. They're they're followers. They're going to follow whatever they think is the socially cool thing to do. And they are enabling many of the people who made their way across the southern border to wait for just such a time as this. This uh, The resident and his administration, they're too busy leaving weapons and equipment in Afghanistan and then, uh, you know, sending invoices to soldiers while they cut checks to Iran, ruining the economy and looking for MAGA Republicans under every bed. And as all that's going on, they're worrying about Islamophobia. And they're not going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Hamas and similar groups are not going to stop with Jewish people. They will not stop when it comes to your churches or civic organizations. They will not stop when it comes to the queers for Palestine or other people who put their pronouns in their profile. They won't stop when it comes to your spouse or your children. They will only stop when the entire planet conforms to what they believe and not a minute before. Right now there's a truce going on between Hamas and Israel. And if Israel is smart, as soon as this truce is over, they go back in and they go back in hard and heavy and they finish the job. We should be looking at the, I mean, oh, but Bill, the hostages, the hot, the hostages, unfortunately, we have to look at as dead people. Because they're going to do their very level best. Because their job, the way they see their job, it's to kill everybody who does not conform to Islam. It's not just the Jewish people. So this weekend, when you're in your house of worship, look around you, and everywhere around you is a infidel. Everywhere around you is an infidel. When you go shopping today, everywhere around you is an infidel. Let's look at the text line. And I, oh, yeah, it's him. <laughs> uh, there we go. Okay. Not going to look at that anyway. The text that caught my attention was, sounds like the media is really back against Black Friday. Is it because they hate small business? You know, I, I haven't really looked at it that way. I would think they do, but they love the big boxes because, you know, the, they're the ones with the big specials and all the other stuff out there. Before we go, <clears throat> just because I was interested in it, do you know the history of Black Friday? You know where the term comes from? I know some of you think you do, but, you know, bear with me. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD.
Black Friday's been used for a lot of different reasons. 1869, you had two guys trying to buy up all the nation's gold and everything went into free fall and bankrupted everybody from Wall Street barons to the farmers. That was the first time Black Friday was used. The most commonly repeated story behind the Thanksgiving shopping-related Black Friday tradition is about the retailers. So basically, the saying is that after an entire year of operating at a loss in red ink, the stores would supposedly earn a profit going to the black on the day after Thanksgiving because you blew so much money on discounted merchandise. And it's true that retail companies used to record losses in red and profits in black when doing their accounting, but that's... This version is the officially sanctioned but inaccurate story behind the tradition. There was an ugly twist to it back in the uh, back in the 1800s. Southern plantation owners could buy enslaved workers at a discount on the day after Thanksgiving. That has actually led some people to call for a boycott to it because of what it's called. The real history is not as sunny as the retailers might have you believe. Back in the 50s, police in the city of Philadelphia used the term to describe the chaos on the day after Thanksgiving when hordes of suburban shoppers and tourists flooded into the game in advance of the big Army-Navy football game held on that Saturday every year. Now we just call that kind of thing Easley. And everything between Easley and Clemson every weekend, right? Uh, <clears throat> not only were the Philly cops not able to take the day off, but they had to work extra long shifts dealing with the additional crowds and traffic. Shop lifters also took advantage of the bedlam in stores and made off with merchandise, adding to the headache. By 1961, they had a con on in Philadelphia, and uh, a lot of the uh, they they tried to change it to Big Friday, but uh, to try to remove the negative connotations. But that didn't spread as to the rest of the country until much later. And uh, as recently as 1985, it wasn't in common use nationwide. Somehow, the retailers found a way to reinvent Black Friday. Now, Walmart decided they were going to do this thing, and this is why I used to get off of Woodruff Road, because when I was in the route business, the biggest Walmart in town was on Woodruff Road. They started opening at midnight, the night of Thanksgiving. Do you remember that? And then, I mean, Bedlam. Let's fight. I, I, how do you fight over a flat screen TV? I mean, there have been all out there, been shots fired. It's crazy. It's crazy. And uh, now, of course, we have uh, small business Saturday and Sunday and Cyber Monday and all kinds of sales. All kinds of sales. Which leads me to believe, and, and here's, here's where I look at this. If they're selling at full retail all year long, how can they be swimming in red ink? And how can they possibly make it up in a day? <laughs> Discounting. I mean, how much inventory can they move in that one day? And I, you know, listen, I know it's pallets and pallets of stuff. I have not been out on Mad Max Boulevard to try to see what that looks like today. I don't know that I'm willing to go out and do it. I don't know that I'm willing to go check the mail today. Because of the madness. The madness. But, uh, yeah. So... This red to black concept, when it when it first came out, that you know, the notion that the day after Thanksgiving this marked the occasion when the American stores could finally turn a profit, that's the one that stuck. So now everybody gets out there, and the biggest issue I see today 
is that with the exception of every other day except Black Friday, if they're possibly in red ink, it's probably because when you go to a store nowadays, they don't have it in stock, which I run into a lot. I run into a lot. Somebody on the text line goes, didn't it start out as a black and blue Friday? Only at Walmart. <laughs> I was a bread man, and I would be in there, and the one time I got caught after they opened the doors, nobody, I, I could have stood there and I could have played basketball. I could have set up a you know full-size, you know, real court and uh, been playing basketball one end to the other, and nobody would have known because they were all in the electronics section. All in the electronics section. So... Um, we're in the holiday season. It's not about the shopping. Okay. It's not about the shopping. It's what I saw last night at upstate lights. When I watched my grandchildren get out there and enjoy themselves, their genuine fun, the genuine fun they had that, um, I got to be witness to. That's what it's about. This is what the holiday season is about. Enjoying your family. There's a little shopping involved and don't get too caught up in it because those stores will be there tomorrow and they'll be there the next day and the next day. Holiday season about is, is about you, your family, and your maker. Bear that in mind. I'll talk to you on Monday. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.